Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. Today, one of this country's most lethal goal scorers. He was born in West London on the 8th of December 1966 and spent his early career playing non-league football until he moved to Queen's Park Rangers at the age of 20. The next year, he was loaned to Besiktas in Turkey for a season before making his name back at Queen's Park Rangers. In 1995, he was sold to Newcastle for what was his most successful time, scoring 29 goals and nearly winning the Premier League title under Kevin Keegan. He signed for his boyhood team Spurs in 1997, winning the League Cup in 1999, and played at West Ham, Leicester, Bolton and Reading before finishing at Watford in 2006. Capped 17 times by England, PFA Player of the Year 1996, and now Director of Football at Queen's Park Rangers, Sir Les, Les Ferdinand. How are you, Les? I'm good. I'm good, Paul. Nice to be here with you. It's really good to see you as well. You know, I say, if you ever got a knighthood, would you be Sir Sir, Les? <laughs> I, th- I think that's probably how it was. I, you've been asked this a billion times. Where did it come from? Because everybody calls you Sir Les. I know. It's, uh, it started at Queen's Park Rangers, and I don't think it was supposed to be Sir, but um, someone picked it up in the, in the papers as, as Sir Les. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the QPR supporters used to chant saying else, and something came up as, as Sir Les. Right. And it started from there. And to be honest, I you know I went to I went to Turkey and they used to call me Sir Les out there. Oh, and, did they? Uh, yeah, they, they sort of like did loads of uh, loads of uh, pictures of me with the, the the English gentleman suit on and all that, and the morning suit yeah, type yeah. thing. And um, always used to call me Sir out there. And then I moved to Newcastle, came back to QBR, went back to went to Newcastle. And like you said, everywhere I've been, I've, I've been called Sir Les. I love it though. Don't been you? called a lot worse as well. By <laughs> I can imagine. So, um, I can imagine. Actually, I can't imagine. <laughs> of course, I can't. Now, now from 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 the years that I've known you and. And, and every time that I've met you, and, and I'm not blowing smoke at all, but, but you always appear completely unaffected and very straight down the middle and just like a, a regular guy. And, and, and I'd be interested to know, what is this down to? Is it down to the fact of, of your upbringing or is it because you had to pay your dues on the way up playing football, you weren't giving it on a plate? Is that what it is? I think it's a bit of both, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'd probably have to give my family most of the credit because they kept my feet feet firmly on the ground. Um, it didn't matter what I did, what I achieved, I was still less to them. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll, I'd put it down to my upbringing. And, and, and like you said, um, you know, I used to work for a living. I used to drive a van. I used to do painting and decorating. I did steam cleaning. I did lots of different things before. I was uh, fortunate to, to make it as a professional footballer. So all the way through, and obviously we're going to go through... Is that always there? Was it always there at the back of the mind? Did, did you always remember this is where I came from? 
Yeah, always has been. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to to, to play the game that I've, I've loved and enjoyed. Um, but I don't see myself. You know, my granddad gave me some really good values, and my, my, my dad and my mum as well. And you know, they always used to say to me, my granddad always used to say to me, like, "There's no one out there that's better than you." Yeah. But there's no one that you're better than either. So treat people with respect if they treat you with respect, and and that's how I've lived my life, really. Good way of doing it. So when, how did football begin to you? Because you know, you'd grow up in West London, but you're a Spurs fan, weren't you? Yeah, I was. It was kind of strange. Um, growing up in in, in West London, um, not far from where QPR was, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah. So really, I should have been a QPR fan. And and, and in fact, QPR was a, as a as a kid, the, QPR was the only team I went to see live because I, I had an uncle who was a QPR supporter, and he dragged me along there one day with me and my cousin. Yeah. Um, to get us from under the feet of uh, my mum and, and my aunties and stuff. Gillard going right up on the goal line. It's already taken those balls. Turns it in. Gillard with a header against the crossbar. Yes. Yeah, QPR was the only team I went to see live. But, Why? Um, Why was it? Um, it's really strange because I think back in the day, my, my parents weren't into football. Sure. Um, and the only thing they knew about football was what they read in the papers. Mm. And growing up in the, the 60s and 70s, um, football stadium wasn't a, a place for a young black boy to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for, for safety reasons. Um, so I was never allowed to go. Um, my cousin was a massive um, Liverpool supporter. Mm-hmm. He used to have all the kits and, and, and stuff like that. And um, at the time, I said, "Look, I'm not going to support anyone outside outside of London." Although Liverpool were probably the Lammer Club up in in the north back then. Um, and I said I had to support someone in London, and suppose Spurs were the glamour club in, in London yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. So that's how I ended up at an armchair Spurs supporter. It's funny, I'm the same age as you, and it, and it was where I grew up, which was on the other side of London. It was either Spurs, West Ham, but Liverpool, because <laughs> there was always the Glory Hunters, wasn't there? Exactly. They're still around today. So um, tell me about Southall and Hayes then, and, and when you started beginning to think, you know, or, or did you think? Hold on, there could be a career in this for me or was it just I just love playing football? The thing is, I, I never ever thought I was going to be a professional footballer. And um, it's, a, it's the same advice I hand out to my to my kids or have, have done in the past in, in that I played football because I loved it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I played for South or when I played for Hayes, um, it was all about being being able to go and train Tuesdays and Thursdays and play on a Saturday. Mm. Um, and I did that because I loved it. And when I started off, I, I started off with a load of mates from school there was about eight of us that went um, to Southall uh, and it kind of whirled down till it was, you know, I I was the only one out of our year group that carried on going. Did you know you were good? Um, yeah, I, I, I knew I was a decent player yeah. um, because, I, you know, I went to Southall, I was playing, I played in the youth team, worked my way up and, you know, before I was 17, I was playing in the first team. So um, I must have been okay. Uh, I got kicked about a little bit because I was younger. Yeah. But I, I it, it kind of like made me a little bit robust, and um, I got used to to men's football quite quite quickly. So when did Queens Park Rangers come knocking then, and how did that happen? So so basically, what happened was I was I was at Southall. We got to the uh, the final, and then um, after the final, um, the the team disbanded. Right. Um, we lost the final 3-1 and the team disbanded and uh, we was kind of like scratching my head thinking about what am I going to do next and along the way um, the manager at, uh, at Southall at the time a fellow called Gordon Bartlett said to had seen my dad a couple of times and said you know your son's got good ability um, if you'd really take football seriously I thought I was taking it seriously sure. but he, he said if your son took it <coughs> ser- seriously and knuckled down for a, for a, for a bit I think he, he's got a good chance of turning pro Yeah, and you know, there'd been rumours in the past that 
you know, professional clubs had looked at me and nothing could come of it. And I yeah. was, I was sort of like, I was 18. I was, I was, you know, 17, 18. And I was thinking professional football's passed me by now. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to play to the highest level yeah. I can in non-league football. And I always remember my dad saying to me, listen, why don't you knuckle down for a year? Just give it one year. Mm. And he said, and knuckle down, do everything that you need to do in that one year. And if it don't work out, it don't work out. But at least you know you've given it your best shot. He was shot. a bit more interested in football by this point. I'm by right. this time, yeah, because I was... <laughs> yeah. I was and the, the thing is, he was only coming... He, he'd only ever come and see me play if I was in, in a cup final yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said, I've heard this on many occasions from different managers, even when I was playing five-a-side football, that your son's got good ability. Mm. So why don't you, you, you give it a, a, a shot uh, at um, doing it properly? So I said, okay. And like I said, I thought I was doing it properly before that. But um, <laughs> it's I, like, what do I do now? Yeah. What, do I do? what do I do more of? Um, so anyway, um, the, the team disbanded and then I got a call, a call from a fellow called George Goody, who was the manager of uh, Hayes at the time. Yeah. Uh, and he said, look, we've lost our centre forward and, um, you know, we've watched you play a few times. We'd love you to come in and, and do pre-season with us. So I did. Um, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to get my head down. I'm going to go and do pre-season properly. Um, this was like two levels above where I was playing and see how I would go. Um, I got went there, did the pre-season, got in, was in the side, started going, scoring goals from the off and I was at Hayes for, for six months. And were you thinking, I've gone up a level, but it fits. It doesn't feel any different. I can deal with this quite quite easily. Yeah, I was I was still scoring goals yeah, like yeah. I, I had been. at. Um, I'd come off the back of a, a good goal scoring season at Southall um, when we got to the Vars final and... Um, I remember going to Hayes and thinking, right, this is two levels up from where I was. Let me see how I fit in. Mm. Just went in and started scoring goals there. And like I said, I was at Hayes for, for six months. I'd probably been at Southall for three years, three and a half years. Went to Hayes for six months and then QBR signed me. Um, I'd signed a contract at, at, um, at, at Hayes as well. Never signed a contract at, at Southall, but signed a contract at Hayes. And um, I'd only been there for six months and they got they got the rewards that perhaps Southall should have got a bit of. They made a few quid, didn't you, over the years, which is great. So, Queen's Park Rangers, this was, I guess, Jim Smith was the manager, right? Yeah, the late Jim Smith was the manager. So, so Jim, a legendary name in football. So, you've been there for a while. You'd played, what do you remember about the first game? Was it Southampton you played away? Wasn't that the game? Yeah, that was uh, was just the the first reserve game I played. Yeah. Um, And I remember sort of like turning up at uh, uh, Loftus Road and thinking at the time, wow. I'm just about to go and play my first game. I, I was still working. I had to work my notice uh, thing at uh, at work at the time. And I, I remember turning up for this game. And the first person to come out and greet me was Sammy Lee. Yeah. And he shook my hand. He said, uh, welcome to QPR, young man. I, I wish you all the best for your career. Yeah. And I thought, and I just stood there in awe thinking, this is Sammy Lee. It's the Liverpool, Sammy. This, this is the guy. <laughs> he looks and, just like him. And, sounds uh, like him. Yeah. And we, we, I remember getting on the coach. It was uh, Gary Chivers, David Kerr's like there were a few players that yeah, yeah. You know, I got on a coach with and um, we went down to Southampton and I played my first reserve game for, for QBR. And I always remember playing against Jimmy Case. Everyone had told me what a hard man Jimmy Case was and you hear these rumours and you read magazines and stuff like that and I always remember he whacked me. Uh, first 10, 15 minutes, ball came into me, didn't control it properly. He whacked me. I, I was, I was laying on the floor, he stepped across me and he went, welcome to professional football, young man. I was like, I was just looking <laughs> up at him thinking, all right, is it going to be like this thing? Yeah, well, thanks to Jimmy Case, Les is baptised as a professional footballer, but it was nothing compared to what was awaiting him in Turkey, where he really grew up, playing on loan for a season at Besiktas, and the brand new Premier League begins. I'm Paul Coyce. When we return with Les Ferdinand on My Sporting Life. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. 
1988 and 21-year-old striker Les Ferdinand to Queen's Park Rangers where manager Jim Smith decides that a loan move would be best for his development. But, Les, to Turkey and Besiktas, right? Yeah, so Gordon Mill, uh, the late uh, Liverpool player yep. and ex-Leicester manager, he was, uh, he'd was he gone out to, to the Besiktas in Turkey and um, Gordon Mill, like I said, had spoken to Jim Smith, said, I'm looking for a centre-forward and Jim Smith had said to him, look, we've got this, centre, we've got this young, young player here, we think he could be anything or he could be nothing. Yeah. Um, but I think this would this, this, if you, if he went to Turkey, this could either make him or it could break him. And I always remember having a conversation with Jim, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah all right, yeah. And I, and I thought I was just fobbing him off a little bit, saying, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I'll think about it, thinking I'm never going to go to Turkey. <laughs> and then um, Gordon Mill came over, and um, there was this, you know, as you as you do, managers sometimes have have people come in and watch training and stuff, yep. and there was this guy on the sidelines watching training, dressed in a kit, and was thinking, who's this? Who's this fella? Mm. And then Jim Smith came to me afterwards and he said, look, you remember I was telling you about this, you know, the the manager in Turkey, this is him, this is Gordon Mill. Um, he wants to have a chat with you. So mm. um, I sat down and had a chat with Gordon briefly at the, the training ground. And then I met him uh, that evening at a hotel in, in Holland Park. And um, we sat there and he, he kind of like, he sold it to me. He said to me, look, I think this should be a great opportunity for you. The club have got higher hopes. They think you can go on to be something, but um, they just think you need a bit of direction. And he said, coming out there, we'll do this, this, this. And I was like, okay, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And and he, he really sold it to me. But even the day I left to go to Turkey, I remember coming out my front door, mum and dad with me, taking me to the airport. I got two suitcases in my hand and I'm thinking, where the hell am I going? Yeah. You know, the only thing I knew about uh, Turkey at the time was the film Midnight Express. That's not good Which thing. is not the best advert in the world <laughs> for Turkey. He was a 20-year-old boy, up against a system he didn't understand, spoken in a language he couldn't speak. And yet, he triumphed. The movie is Midnight Express. But um, I jumped on a plane and uh, sat, Gordon came with me and we, we, we landed in Istanbul. And I always remember coming out, uh, jumping off the plane and walking down, you know, as you, as you go down the gangway and you go into the, into the area where mm. you go to pick your luggage up. It's all like walking down there and it was like, Loads of photographers like just taking pictures and clambering around people, and and I'm thinking, oh, Gordon's come back, and Gordon's got like pulled himself and they're taking pictures of me, and I'm thinking, geez, here's a kid I've just come out of reserves of QPR, yeah, and the expectation of these people are ridiculous, like you know, when they're taking pictures of me, we was driving from the airport to the to um uh, a hotel because uh, in Turkey they don't have like you know we use our stadiums as offices yeah in Turkey they don't do that they have their offices in the middle of town so we I went to the offices and we're being followed by cars and the, the horns are going people are tooting and they're cheering and everything and I'm thinking geez what so are you thinking I don't this is this is either not for me <laughs> or how can I live up to this what am I going to do was, get was, me out of here now it was, it was living up to this I was thinking <laughs> how am I going to live up to this do they know I've just come out of the reserves. And uh, anyway, we got to we got to the hotel. We we spent about a couple of hours, and then Gordon said to me, "Look, I'm going to take you to the stadium. There, we, you know, there's a there's a little training session. Um, and what basically what he said, what I do, I'm going to introduce you to all the players. Yeah, nice. Yeah. We're off to Germany. Uh, we were off to Germany the next day preseason. So he said to me, I'm going to take you, introduce you to the to, to the players. I thought, okay, yeah, brilliant. So anyway, had a bit of a rest, got my boots, and uh, we're heading to the stadium. So as we're driving, um. There were there were sort of like directors from the club that came with us, yeah. and they said, "All right, follow." So we're following the cars and stuff like that. We get down as we're getting as we're getting closer to the stadium. I could hear this noise like this, boom, 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 thinking, "Okay, 
So we, we pull up and obviously I don't know where the stadium I've never sure. been there before. We pull up to this, this magnificent place and all of a sudden there's like thousands of people about and I'm thinking, okay, is there some market or something going on? Like, you know I mean? Anyway, I go into the stadium and um, the, the change rooms were underground. Yeah. And, but they had, they had the little windows that you could see the, the, the pitch and I could just hear this, like this carnival atmosphere going yeah. on. I said to Gordon, I thought you said like this is a training session to meet the lads. He goes, yeah, yeah, but what they do, they introduce all the players <laughs> to the supporters at the same time. Yeah. You know, the new signings to the supporters. And like like I said, I got to the stadium, it's 35,000 people oh, to watch the first me. day's training. First day's training, 35,000. But it worked out really well for you, didn't it? Because w- would you say that this was almost the, the apprenticeship, the making of you? That's the one thing I do say to people, that, that, that was my footballing apprenticeship. Ferdinand? Ferdinand? Ferdinand Kaleci ile karşı karşıya vuruyor gol. Karşılaşmanın 15. dakikasında Ferdinand'ın tır attığı golle Beşiktaş Fenerbahçe karşısında 1-0 üstünlük sağlıyor. When I got away from London and one of the things I tried to do when I when I was here and I signed for QPR, I tried to remain the same person I was before. And I was still, I was still knocking around my mates. I didn't want my mates is to think I was hard, anything though, different. Is, is it hard to do? It is really hard um, yeah. because everybody expects you to be different. Um, but you try to stay the same. Yeah. So I wanted to do the same things I was doing with my mates before, and and, and, and my life is very, very different. Of course. Um, and so I had to kind of like change my mentality, change what I, I was doing, and I couldn't do that while I was in London. Mm. Um, and I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of, in terms of my footballing career. Going there taught me how to be a professional, and I don't talk about Gordon Mill enough because he mm. was absolutely fantastic for me at that time. Um, everyone, people always ask me who's the best manager I've ever worked with and I say at different times managers have come along in my career sure. that have been absolutely ideal for me and, and Gordon was absolutely perfect for me What I, it was just what I needed at that time I went to Turkey and I had a whole year to concentrate on just football and nothing else everything, you've got the crowds you've got every experience it's almost like this is set up for you to learn I guess yes. so you, you win the Turkish Cup there don't you and then you come back to Queen's Park Rangers you, you come back a different person and a different player and I guess you would be a lot more confident in your own skin going out and playing football now in front of crowds and uh, the professional game as well when you come back yeah um, I, I came back with a, a renewed sense of I can do this um, and I suppose when I when I first got into professional football, I doubted myself um, because you know you're playing with all these guys that have had um, apprenticeships, who've come through the system and, and, and known football and understood mm. football um, all their lives. And here I was trying to mingle in with these guys, and it took me a little while to to, to settle and, and 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 understand that I did belong. Mm. So going out to Turkey, like I said, was like my apprenticeship. I came back with a renewed confidence. And when I went on to the training pitch, it was really funny because I'd come back and we had the likes of Peter Reid was at, at QBR, Nigel Spackman, um, Ray. I don't think Ray was there yet. Mm. Uh, he was he was on his way, but I always remember Peter Reid. Um, we joined, we we did an eleven v eleven, and Peter Reid said to me afterwards, like, "Who's this kid? Where's he come from?" Yeah, yeah. And everyone said, "Ah, oh, Les Fern, and he's been out in Turkey on loan." I said, "Out on loan." He's been out on loan. What have we got here? Like, you know what I mean? So, um, I, like I said, I came back and I felt I belonged. And it still took me a little while to get into the side, but um, um, I, it, I came back realising that I could be the professional footballer I wanted to be. Let's look at a few stats then, Les. 89-90, you played nine games for QPR. 90-91, 18 games, scoring eight goals. 91-92, 10 goals in 23 games. But the season 92-93, not only for you... But for football, it was a brand new era. 
the FA Premier League. Live, only on Sky. It's a whole new yeah, I think I'm the first year of the Premier League, and that's obviously because of uh, of the razzmatazz that came with the Premier League. Obviously, you, you had to score the goals, and I think I ended up with twenty twenty goals or something somewhere around that 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 um, that figure that season. And as you as you as you said there, because of the razzmatazz that came with the the the, the Premier League, it propelled you into to everyone's thoughts and minds because people were now seeing you on a regular basis, scoring lots of goals, seen everywhere, and then. Obviously, people are going to be start talking, thinking, you know, he's, he's done very well at Queen's Park Rangers because I mean, you were the highest placed London side, weren't you at yeah. the time? And then it's like, what's going to happen now? And um, were, were there was there many was there much talk that was going on through your career before you did actually move away from Queen's Park Rangers that you were going to go? Were you looking for a move early on, or were you just happy with what you were doing? I wasn't. I was never ever looking for a move. Um, I was happy with what I was doing at QBR. I was enjoying my time. You know, I felt we had a really good side. Um, and we did have a really good side. Um, as you said, we were top lung club and um, we were doing well, but we was, we was never going to win the league. Yeah. You know, we were going to have a good cup run. We might got we might have got to an FA Cup final. Um, I suppose that's what we were thinking at the time. But at the time, we were just too small to, to be challenging those bigger teams in, in the division. So, um, but I felt, I was always learning. You know, Jerry Francis came into to QBR. You know, Trevor Francis gave me my debut, and um, and then Don Hayer took over for a while. And mm-hmm. me and Don probably had a bit of a clash of personalities at the time. Um, we didn't see eye to eye. Now we're gonna have to cope with that, whether we like it or not, because we don't want to lose the game, do we? And you don't want to lose a game when you go out. But I respected him as a coach. I thought he was one of the best coaches I worked with. Was it just a personality thing then? Yeah, I think it was. I think um, Don. Saw me as a young kid out out of a council estate that should be glad of what I had and where I was. But I always had an opinion, and I'd let him know my opinion. Yeah. And so um, I don't think he was too enamoured with that. Yeah. And so that kind of probably restricted my time playing under Don a little bit because I always remember him um, saying that you know the club should sell me, uh, and he, he, the club should sell me to Millwall. Because uh, Paul Goddard was at Millwall and Paul Goddard was going to go the other way, right? And um, but Millwall wanted a bit of money on top of Paul Goddard going the other way, and the club didn't want to pay that money, so I ended up staying. And I always remember the chairman of uh, QBR, Richard Thompson, at the time when I when I actually eventually left and went to to Newcastle, he said, "Don Howe would a club cost this club five point seven something million pounds because just because you two had a clash of personalities." Um, and it was detrimental to to my career at the time, but I wasn't someone that couldn't say anything. If someone said something, I'd have to I'd have to reply to it. Probably just because I grew up on a council estate. If ever you saw Don Howe years later, was it just a hey Don? Yeah, hey, no, you, and that was it. No, do you know what? I, I I had the utmost respect for Don as a coach. I thought he was a very very good coach. He's yeah. probably one of the best coaches I worked with. Um, I understand that sometimes you have clashes of personality, but it ain't about the individual. It's about the team, and it's about the team doing well. Sure. And um, so I, I, yeah. Although I, I felt he hindered my my uh, my career a little bit, and I probably didn't play as much as I wanted to under Don. Uh, I still, uh, if I saw Don, uh, I, I know he's he's passed now, but um, it was never a problem talking to him. Well, the move did come, and I think we all know where you went next. Les Ferdinand heads northeast to Kevin Keegan's Newcastle United. When we return on my sporting life. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My Sporting Life, Paul Coit in conversation with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. In the first season of the Premier League, Les scored 16 goals in 36 games to help QPR finish ninth. And although other clubs were interested, he signed a new contract. In 1994-95, he scored 24 goals. But after 10 years of Loftus Road, Les, you decided to go somewhere where you are still a legend to this day. So how and why Newcastle United, Les? Because it's a long way from home, isn't it? Yeah, it was a long way from home. And to be honest with you, people had sort of like, uh, for a couple of years, had been rumours about me leaving QPR and moving on. Um, I know Arsenal came knocking a few times. Um, Richard Thompson, who was the chairman at the time, was, a, was an Arsenal fan. Uh, and he tried to push me that way, um, but be, because of my loyalties and everything else, I, I, I couldn't go across the border. Is that, is that <laughs> right? Even with Spurs, even yeah. there—that's hilarious. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of like got to a stage where um, I, don't, I had an opportunity to go to United, yeah, and um, and that fell through based on the manager coming in, who was Ray Wilkins. I mean, Jerry, you know, Jerry Francis, and I've spoken to him on many occasions. Um, it said to, to to Richard Thompson, "You sell Les, and then I've got to go." Hmm. And um, and that's what happened. Uh, Man United came in. Uh, Richard Thompson asked me, "Do I want to go?" And I said, "Look, at the time, they're the best team in the land." Yeah. yeah. 
so he said, okay, let me speak to Jerry. He told Jerry. Jerry resigned. And um, Richard Thompson said to me, I can't lose my manager and my star striker in the same week. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, no problem. And then he said to me, but give me a few days on it. Gave him a few days and he came back to me and said, look, I've got some good news and some bad news. I said, what do you want first? I said, give me the good news. He said, the good news is I think I've persuaded Ray Wilkins to come back as manager because Ray had left and gone to Crystal yeah. Palace as a player. He said, I think I've Ray, uh, uh, convinced Ray to come back as player manager for QBR. And he said, I think the, the, the supporters and everyone will be appeased by that. I said, brilliant. Great. I said, I'd love to have Ray back here. Uh, I think he'd be brilliant for the club. He said, the bad news, do you want that? I said, yeah. He said, Ray says he's only coming back on the basis that we don't sell you. Oh. So, um... That's what happened. Um, I didn't. I didn't go, um, and I still. I'm saying to someone today. I, I, I call him the. I still call him the late great Ray, Ray Wilkins because he was brilliant for my career. He was yeah. brilliant for me, and and I couldn't. I couldn't be mad at him about it. It's just life, and I, I view life as what's meant to be will be. Um, but what had happened? We'd had a conversation, and he said, "Look, I know. Come the end of the season, you're gonna you're gonna leave this this football club." Um, he said, "But let's let's just get on with doing what we need to do now." And let's have the conversation at the end of the season. Yeah. And um, always remember, at the end of the season, we we won a, we won on a tour to Barbados. We had a couple of games to play out there, and I remember me and him sitting under a palm tree, and it was like um, Robinson Crusoe and uh, Man Friday. Uh, we're both leaning up against this palm tree and sitting down, and we got a, a soft drink in our hands. Of course. <laughs> and um, we we just talked talked about what what was going to be next, and he said, "Look, I know you're going to move on." Uh, he said, "I think it's time for you to move on." Uh, and I, I'm going to wish you all the best. And I said, what are you going to do now? And he said, well, we'll struggle because I don't think we'll be able to replace your goals. When you know that everybody wants you and you're trying to work out where you're going to go, well, what are you feeling like at this point? Yeah, I, I, it, it was exciting um, because I didn't know where I was going to go. Yeah. Um, but I knew there was a few clubs that were interested and, um, you know, it was a, about what was the, the, the right the, the right move, the best move and the, the one that was going to advance my career. I felt I'd learned at QPR and the Jerry Francis all the time that he was here. And I said, the only time I'd leave QPR was when I felt I hadn't progressed and I hadn't learned anymore. And uh, and I suppose I'd come to that that, that time in my in, in my career there. And um, I always remember going to, to, to talk to Villa, um, who'd, who'd bid the, the asking price of, like, I think it was six million at the mm. time. And I remember on the way there, uh, get a call from Kevin Keegan saying that... Um, We've bid six million as well. Hold on, does your phone ring? Because and then it's Kevin Keegan on the other I, end. I had an agent at the time, and his sure. phone, his phone rang and said, "Like, um, will Les do us the the before he makes a decision about Villa? Will he um do us the honour of coming and speaking to, to to me?" And I said, "Um, yeah, of course I would." I went in and spoke to Doug Ellis, and he was he was um he was brilliant with me. Um, he sold Villa so so well to me. But at the time, <clears throat> in that in in that stage of my career, and where where Aston Villa was and where QPR were. QPR had finished above Villa in the last couple of seasons and I felt it was a sideways step sure, rather, than a, rather than a forward step for me. And I went down the motorway, um, went back towards London and, and Kevin Keegan met me in a hotel um, with my agent and he, he spoke for about 10 minutes and after the 10 minutes I was like, this is where I'm going. You know, at the time I think Newcastle was was everyone's second favourite team with the, the, the stuff that it did, uh, the way they got promoted in the football that they played in the Premier League up until then. I thought to myself, if there was anywhere I was going to go and progress my career, mm. that was it. You know, it was on the up. And um, to be honest with you, with the first when I when I got to the club, it was 
everything I wanted it to be and even more in, in, in probably the first six months I was there. So so the team though, and, and let's talk about 95 and it's it's the story that everybody knows and you tw- the old 12, I mean how many times you hear this a day, 12 points clear and a game in hand and it was, you were on fire and, it, and everything seemed to be working. So let's, let's talk about those first few months uh, before we move on to the to the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. It, everything was perfect, wasn't it? It was, uh, like I said, I couldn't ask for more. I scored on my debut um, up at St James's Park. We beat Coventry 3-1. Um, I scored the final goal. And Ferdinand's off on a major run here. Ferdinand, he's around the keeper. Ferdinand, what a tremendous goal for Les Ferdinand, who opens his account and St James's Park erupts. And Les says it in style. And I'd always known that the number nine was a special shirt up at, 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 at in Newcastle and what it meant to the supporters. But when I scored that goal, um, it was then all of a sudden I went, wow. Because it was like the roof came off the stadium, the fact that their number nine had scored on the opening day of the season. And and um, I remember going to, to Bolton in the next game and I scored a headed goal. You know, my first goal was a headed goal. And um, one of the reporters came to me afterwards and he went, oh, this is going to be a season for us. He said, we didn't score because Newcastle used to play this lovely, you know, tip, tip, I mean, George Graham used to call it tippy-tappy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to play this tippy-tappy football that was lovely to watch. And I always remember one of the journalists saying to me, we didn't score our first headed goal till the end of November last year. <laughs> and so he goes, and you just scored that one on the on the, the opening day, opening week of the season. So um, we're excited about what's to come. Yeah. And and like I said, the the supply line from Keith Gillespie and David Janola was just, you know, sensational. Gillespie supporting. Janola again. Janola with a cross. Ferdinand. Brilliant. Oh, the old one-two again. Janola this time on the right. First time. And there was Ferdinand. What a goal. I think I scored 13 goals in my first 12 goals. Yeah, the first 12 games there. And um, I went on to set set a new record, goal scoring record, eight in eight consecutive games and stuff like that. It was just, it was everything. It was everything I dreamed about and more. To be honest, in that first six months. In the Sports Centre, Jeff Stelling and Jane Hoffman. Very good evening to you. Welcome to Sky Sports Centre on a busy night of Premiership action. Seven matches tonight. The big question: Can anyone catch Newcastle United? Well, of course, we all know the answer to that now, but. By the 20th of January, you were 12 points clear. Top of the Premier League. What went wrong? Was it overconfidence? I think it could have been a little bit of that. Um, it could have been a, a, the fact that we... Um, too many players lost form at, at the same time. Um, and I think... when it, I don't want to say it was arrogance. Uh, it might have been a little bit of overconfidence. I think at the time... Um, I think David Ginola had won uh, the league at Marseille. Mm-hmm. Peter Beardsley had won some honours with Liverpool. Other than that, I don't think there was a player in, the, in in our squad that had ever won anything. Do you need that then, do you think? What I think you need is a mentality. Um, and we didn't have that because I think we were 12 points clear with a game in hand. And when we lost that first game that brought us down to nine points clear... There wasn't a mentality of, oh, we've just lost three points there. The mentality was, I don't know, when we, when we win our game in hand, we'll be 12 points clear again. And someone had done the calculations. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Peter Beardsley had done the calculations. And if we'd have carried on winning in the way that we were, we'd have had the the 
the league were wrapped up by the end of March. And there was all these little signs. I remember going away to um, coming back from London. Um, I'd been I'd been down to see my family for Christmas and came back after after a couple of days after. And um, when I walked into the training ground, there was a geezer walking with a shirt on saying "Champions '96." Oh, oh no! You know you know just these yeah. little things that you don't want to see. And I'm yeah. thinking the, the the supporters are overconfident. we we were overconfident. And and it weren't there was no holding back, you know. I mean, it was like, mm. no, nah, let's calm down a little bit. Everyone was like, no, no, this is what we're going for. And I just think at the time we just um, we we lost our way, and um, we 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 lost that 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 nine points became three points very very quickly because mm. we lost one, two, three games in a week, and before you knew it, we was um, you know, Man United had just overtaken us. So the three points clear in April. And they managed to squeeze past 10-man Leeds United, 1-0 at Old Trafford. And after the game, Alex Ferguson said this. For some of them, it's more important to get a result against Manchester United to stop winning the week than anything else. And of course, when they come to Newcastle, you wait to see the difference. And then when you beat Leeds 1-0, we all remember what Kevin Keegan had to say. You can tell him now, he'll be watching it, we're still fighting for this title and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Where, where were you when, when he was saying that? We were sat on the coach, uh, and technology wasn't as good as it is nowadays, and so we couldn't we couldn't see the manager's interview. Mm. Um, we knew that he was in there doing the interview, but we couldn't see it because um, we we couldn't get it on the coach at the time. And it wasn't until we actually got back home, and I watched a rerun of the game because um, I was one of those after a game, a night game, I struggled to sleep after yeah. it. I was all yeah. adrenaline was still pumping through my body, so I was I was sitting there, so I put the game on. The game was on, and was watching the rerun. And it was only. At the end of the rerun, I saw the the rant. Did he and, did he uh, not get on the coach and say, you know, I've I've had a bit of a go? So no, nobody knew a thing. Not a thing. Right. No, no one knew a thing. So until, what did you think when he saw it? So when I when I saw it, you know, when I was, you know, people always laugh and they say that it was when you know Keegan lost it. You know, he lost the mind games with, with Ferguson. I always say, at the time, everyone wants everyone that supports a football club wants their their players to wear their heart on their sleeve and give everything for that football club. True. Kevin Keegan as a manager wore his heart on his sleeve and he couldn't have been any different. And he gave everything he, he, he could to that football club. And that was part of him giving everything he could to that football club. So they weren't a play. Yeah, of course, we went in the next day and we, we laughed and joked. We, all, all, we, we were all saying we'd love it, we'd love it whatever, whenever we could. <laughs> but I don't think there was any player in the, in the team at that time that thought Kevin Keegan lost it. So it, it didn't work out the way you wanted. Of course, it was. It ended up second that year. Yeah. Um, but you were PFA Player of the Year, which is was no consolation. No, really, it was. A, it was no consolation because I, I went there, and, and the whole point of me going to Newcastle and the, the, us get, you know, getting that team together was about about you know us trying to win the title. Um, we had a good go at it, and we just we just fell at the last hurdle. And um, you know that's because we the the. the the way we played, we you know we was all out attack. We, you know, it was always we were going to score one more goal than you, and that doesn't always happen. And any team that wins the Premier League, they win games one nil. Mm. You know, they win the game. They win games two one. You know, we were just we were just so wide open. It was, uh, you know, and I feel for our defenders now because probably Darren Peacock was probably defender of the season, but he had to be because like, he was throwing himself all over the place. You know, Philip Albert who was. The, the goal scoring sort of like centre back would, yeah. would would bomb forward as well and leave Darren and, and Steve Harry on their own at times. So, well, um, what it entertainment, was, Les? <laughs> it was great entertainment. Still to come, Les is the PFA Player of the Year, but doesn't get to play at Euro '96. 
Alan Shura joins Newcastle and Les heads back to London when we return on My Sporting Life. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. It's the summer of 1996. And Les has ended his first season at Newcastle United as Premier League runner-up, as PFA Player of the Year and 29 goals under his belt. But as the biggest home tournament since 1966 arrives, although you're in the England squad, Les, for Euro 96, you don't play. Yeah, I think, um, and I always said that, but I don't think that happens anywhere else um, where, you know, you're PFA Player of the Year and you don't get to play a minute in your country's tournament. We've seen in the past where um, the centre-forwards who've had a great season and wasn't even part of uh, the build-up to to a tournament, but they've had such a good season that the manager puts them in and they end up being the stars of the tournament. Um, and I'd sort of like, um, although we'd lost the, 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 the league that year, I was still on fire and I was mm. feeling like, yeah, I could, I could, I was still felt pretty invincible and that I could go out and I could score goals and then to go to the tournament and I think you know Terry Venables made it pretty plain uh, pretty clear from the, the off that you know his, his preferred partnership was Teddy and, and, and Allen and I kind of like knew that but I thought I would definitely get some game time yeah. and to not get some game time at, at that period it's uh, it still baffles me it, uh, the way I look at it and when I remember it and I still think of Jimmy Greaves in the World Cup final. And mm. Jimmy was on fire and obviously it was different circumstances. But how he felt, and it did affect him for, mm. the, for the rest of his life without any doubt. I mean, this is a World Cup win. This was Euro 96. But was it difficult to shake off? Because is it something you carried along for quite some time? Because the whole atmosphere in the country, everybody's loving it. But surely there's part of you that's thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm not getting to play and this is really... I, I'm not feeling it the way everybody else is. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, sort of like it, it was, it was, it was one of those tournaments that galvanised the, the whole country. Um, it was the first time I'd seen sort of like women coming from the office and going to to, to, to watch England games. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that women didn't watch England games sure, before, but, but, but anybody in, the, in it, that situation, they wouldn't like football. Yeah. And I think the country was in the doldrums, in, in the doldrums, and, and Euro six kind of like galvanised the whole country, and yeah. everyone got behind it. You know, and um, it was it was a great time to be involved in football, um, but from a personal point of view, I remember the tournament finishing, and um, they they wanted to have a dinner, and you know all the boys went back to the hotel, and and to stay the night, and I just, I wanted to get out of there. I just packed, yeah, the, I packed my stuff, and I, and I and I got out of there, and then um, we got invited to the palace. All the players got invited to the palace, and I, I didn't turn up because I just didn't feel part. I didn't mm. feel part of it, and um, yeah, I didn't go. The dream is over for England and for Terry Venables on a penalty shootout and it's Germany who meet the Czech Republic in the final here on Sunday. So it's time for a holiday, then back to St James's Park for the 96-97 season and you've got a new partner. 20,000 Newcastle United fans forgot the rain today and set their sights on a brighter future. They turned up to welcome Alan Shearer back to his native northeast after his record-breaking £15 million move from Blackburn. So when you heard Shira was coming in, were you happy about it? Or did you feel compromised and you're thinking, yeah, he's going to come in and he's going to steal my thunder? Not at all. Um, no? Yeah, you, uh, Keegan pulled me and he said to me, look, um, I'm not trying to prove anyone wrong here. Um, he said, but I honestly believe that you and Alan will make a formidable partnership. And he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to sign Alan and a load of the press people are going to say, because there's a certain manager in this country that doesn't think you two can play together, yep. they're going to make up stories and say, like, you can't play together. But I honestly believe that you guys can can form a, a good partnership. He said, so don't listen to anything you hear. 
you're 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 staying here at Newcastle. I went, brilliant. I said, there's only one thing. <laughs> I said, what's that? He said, he's asked for the number nine shirt. I went, and what did you say? And he went, well, I said, I'd ask Les, you know, because... He said, look, Alan's worn number nine all his life. I said, well, so have I. Yeah, yeah. And he went, oh, I didn't realise that. I said, but you realised Alan did. And so all this time I'm thinking, I'm saying, Paul, this is a Geordie boy coming back to his his, 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 his home club. Did it bother you, though? Did it bother me? Yeah, really. Um, my relationship was never the same with Kevin Keegan because one one year you're saying to me I'm the best striker in the league yeah. and then the next year you're coming and asking for the most iconic shirt at this football club. So then now I stop believing in what, you, what you're what you saying. Mm. Yeah, so it did change our relationship. Um, was I bothered by it? I mean, <laughs> it was really funny because we was on a trip to uh, the Far East for pre-season and when we landed, so none of the boys had known we'd signed Alan until we landed. And then obviously there was this world record fee and Alan's parading the number nine shirt. So all the boys have gone, what's going on here? And I've gone, yeah, Les, what's going on? I said, like, yeah, Alan lost for the number nine. And then someone, was, did you sell it to him? <laughs> you probably could have done. I could have done. You could have made a few quid I could have done. Said, did you sell it? I went, no, 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 no. And then it was all the lads were going, well, you better not take my number, you better not take my number. And I was like, chaps, I ain't going to take anybody's number. And I always remember, I, was, I went to Tomo, who was the, the kit man at, at, at Newcastle, and he still, still is today. And I said to him, what numbers have you got available? And I think he said 16, he said 17, and he said 23. A big Michael Jordan fan there you growing go. up. Yeah. So I went... Boom, done. I'm 23. Um, so I went back to him. I said, Tom, that's it, me, done, 23. So then anyway, Kevin Keegan pulls me and he says, look, um, the board have come on and they said they want you to have a number between 1 and 11. I said, tell the board I did have a number between 1 and 11 <laughs> yeah. and they decided to take it off of me. Yeah. So don't now come and tell me I've got to have a number between 1 and 11. And, he, and then he said to me, look, Lee Clark is um, is leaving and it looks like Lee Clark is going to Sunderland, so the number 10's available. And I went, I am not taking Clarkie's shirt because m- myself and Clarkie lived in the same building. We was on the top floor, he lived on one side, I lived on the other. And uh, he was, him and Steve Watson were the guys that looked after me when I went to Newcastle mm. and took me around, showed me, showed me the ropes. And I thought, there's no way I'm taking his shirt. And Keegan said he was leaving and he didn't leave at the time, not straight away anyway. So we didn't speak getting into the lift for a couple of, a couple of weeks because I had the number 10 <laughs> shirt, but um, he was all right after that. Ferdinand wins it. Oh, yes, Shearer from the edge of the area. And it's as simple as that. Well, the Shearer-Ferdinand partnership was formidable that season. 49 goals between them, but Kevin Keegan left. Kenny Dalglish took over and the club finished second again in the Premier League. But uh, it was your last season, Les, on Tyneside. Did, did you regret leaving Newcastle when you did? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I said, um, and I've always said it, and I never, I never go back against it. You know, I, I went to pay for my, my boyhood club, the, the team I supported as a, as a boy, and I was an armchair supporter. Um, but I made a decision out of pride rather than what was the right thing for my footballing career at the time. Um, you know, Newcastle had agreed to sell me to Spurs, um, and I remember going down and speaking to Alan Sugar at the time and, and, and Alan Sugar's vision for, for Spurs is probably what Spurs is today mm. you know and, I, and for me he was the one who started off where Spurs are today and, and where he wanted to take it and um, I remember going and speaking and unfortunately the day I went down to speak I went down on the Friday had did my medical Alan broke his ankle on the, on the Saturday and then Newcastle tried to, to, to renege on the deal but they couldn't because they'd already set, accepted the bid 
Um, but they came down and they spoke to they spoke to my agent. Um, they were allowed to speak to the agent, but they weren't allowed to speak to me. Mm. And they said, "Look, we want him to come back. We want to do this, 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 and this." And I remember speaking to Alan. Um, on the, after he'd had his operation, I spoke to him, gave him a call, said, "See how he's doing." And and I, he said to me, "Are you coming back?" And I said, "No, nah, mate, I don't think I am." And he went to me, I've got to be honest, I, I probably wouldn't if I was in your shoes. Um, mm. He said, I'd love to have you back. I'd, I'd want to play with you more, but because of the way you've been treated, he said, I'd probably I'd probably have made the, the, the same decision. And I always say to people, and I always say to my kids, never make a decision out of, never make a decision out of pride because pride stops you from achieving what you want to achieve or going where you want to go. And I probably made a decision out of pride rather than what was the best thing for my footballing career at the time. So you think now, looking back, you should have... Yeah, and I, and, and, and I thought that when I, you know, I came to Spurs and, you know, listen, I loved everything about being at Spurs. But in terms of I'd gone, I think, five seasons scoring 20-odd goals, went to Spurs and it just all went pear-shaped. Mm. And I'd seen one of the Spurs players out. I was again in a coffee shop at about two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I love those coffee shops, those late night coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I remember him saying to me at the time, he said, "Look, we ain't the club you think it is." Yeah. Um, and kind of like I went there, and um, I went there based on what Alan Sugar was telling me and and his visions for for where he wanted to take Spurs, and and I thought he was great. I really do, and I done. And like I said, um, in terms of what he was trying to do to the club and where he wanted to take it. I loved everything about it, but we was a struggling team. You know, I went there after a few months, Jerry Francis packed in. Then uh, Christian Gross came in as manager. He was here for just over a year. George Graham came in. Mm. So in my first five years, I had four four different managers and and, a cha- and, and in the fifth year, I had a change of board. So it was like, it, so that kind of tells you the type of turmoil of that Tottenham were in at the time. Sure. World, world you know, won the, uh, of course, League Cup final, Worthington, as yeah, it was then. Right. Uh, in 99, then time to leave West Ham, which is a bit of a strange move. I'm sure they loved you, didn't <laughs> they? Did they see you as a Spurs player going straight to West Ham? Uh, it was it was kind of a strange strange move for me at the time because I'd always, I'd always seen sort of like the... Um, Arsenal and, and, and Tottenham was the biggest rivals, but then when I went to West Ham, I realised how much West Ham didn't like Tottenham. To be fair, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we all knew you went away, and and then um, yeah, we we can we, we'll wrap up the career because we're we're looking at age thirty seven. You go to Leicester, you're player of the season. You're still scoring goals, Bolton under Sam Allardyce. Is there is there a point though, Les, where although your mind is saying, look, yeah, I can do this, there's probably part of you that's thinking. There's stuff that maybe I can't do that maybe I used to. This must be the most difficult time for any player or any professional in any sport to know maybe my career's coming to an end. Well, what happened was at, at 37, I sort of like, um, I still mm. felt quite fit. Mm. And um, uh, I went to Leicester. Uh, I'd, left, I'd, left, I'd left Tottenham and had four or five months at, at uh, West Ham. Yep. Came to the end, and unfortunately, Glenn Road at the time had a brain aneurysm, yes, yeah. and um, he wasn't in charge anymore. And they were saying, "Look, we need to wait for the next managers coming." And in the meantime, um, Leicester, Southampton, I had a few clubs come in saying to me, "Look, we want to take you for next season." And I was like, "You know, West Ham had got relegated." I went, "I didn't want to go out on a relegation if, I, if, if if it was possible." So. I had to play for another year. Mm. Uh, Mickey Adams persuaded me to go to, to Leicester. Uh, it was a toss-up between Leicester and, and, and Southampton. And I kind of like, liked what Mickey had to say, I liked what they were doing. And as you said, I went there and I was, I was top goal scorer. I was player's player of the year. I was uh, supporter's player of the year. Yeah. And I was thinking, OK, but we still got relegated. So yeah, yeah. do I finish here? And then I got a call from Sam Allardyce, who um, 
he said, can I have a chat with you? And I was like, Sam, no, I think I'm done now, mate. And he was going, no, no, please, before you make that decision, can we have a chat? And um, I said, okay. So I went to meet him and he sat down and he had all this information. And at the time, Bolton were probably the most advanced football club I'd been to in terms of the way that they fought and data and everything else. Right. Sam was, was mm. up there. And he, he showed me all my figures uh, for the games that I played, the goals that I scored and um, my my high intensity runs and blah, yep. blah, blah. And he went to me, you still, you've got too much to offer football. Mm. I said, my body's not telling me that, Sam. I said, when I wake up in the mornings, I feel like, you know, my missus used to say to me all the time, she used to say, Les, please retire. <laughs> and I saw I used to I used to have a little little step on you know get off the bed and I used to have step that I used to go That's down amazing. and I used to come off the step and I was yeah, like yeah. <laughs> and then I go to the I go in the chair and once I got the hot water and I used to come out like Superman <laughs> and I'm ready I'm ready for the day and I'd go training you know um, but this was a routine and she used to go Liz please retire and I was going okay and then Sam persuaded me to play for another year you know what what comes through is your pure love of the game and you you went in on your terms you came out on your terms playing and you went out with a smile on your face and now. Uh, of course, where, where you've gone from coaching and now at Queen's Park Rangers, where, where virtually it all began. Mm-hmm. And uh, and to finish with uh, director of football and, 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 and how is life there at Queen's Park Rangers? And, and how are you joined being on the other side of the fence now? Yeah, the other side of the fence is a um, good second best, you know, because I sit in the stand and I kick every ball, I, I make every save, I, I've become one of the punters. I, I make every save, I, I score every chance, I make every pass. Um, but I know how tough it is. Yeah, for the boys down there, and um, you know, going back to QBR and them giving me this opportunity, um, I did all my coaching badges and my pro license and everything else, but I didn't think I'd get a job as a manager, so I, I had to look at other avenues, and um, this was an avenue that I looked at, and I, I was fortunate to get the opportunity to do it at QBR, but it's been enjoyable as well. I was going to say it's different work, it's tough work, but um, but you'll have it next time. Yeah, always will. Les, it's been an honour and a pleasure. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thanks for coming. Paul, thanks for having me on. My Sporting Life with Les Ferdinand on Talk Sports. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.